You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome back to the Rock Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are doing finally doing our season preview for Kansas football um, as has been tradition here the last few years I have uh, brought on Scott Chathan of fog.net uh, Scott how, how are you doing today I, I'm doing terrific man I it's a surprise in some ways that we're even at this point where football is like a week away and, and yet it seems to started to feel a little bit like normal not in terms of the country but more in terms of yeah, hey, a season is approaching, full camp is going on, and I'm starting to believe there's going to be a football game in a week. Yeah, you know, we, we actually took a little bit of a break because I had some other stuff come up at my day job. But, uh, you know, I was sitting there the entire time. It kept seeming like there was more and more stuff coming out, and, like, it didn't seem like we were actually going to have football or that if we did, it might, you know, even get delayed again. But it seems like we're, you know, everything's a go, that it's going to be a really weird season for sure. But it definitely seems like we're going to have a season and as close to 10 games as, as, as we can possibly get, assuming that, you know, knock on wood, that there's no big issues with the virus. So, Yeah, uh, 100%. Right. And as, as, at least as what we've heard so far is that, or, or I guess the last update we've gotten on COVID testing numbers and everything is, you know, this team seems complete. I think Les Miles said a week or two ago that, hey, if there was a game tomorrow, every single person would be available, which I think is a great sign. Yeah, that's that's definitely a great sign. And of course, with all the developments in terms of testing and, you know, the the turnarounds, they've got a new test that's being tested right now that supposedly is going to make it a whole lot faster and a whole lot cheaper and easier. Like those are all good signs for being able to go ahead and play sports, whether it's football or the basketball season that's fast approaching as well. So. All right. So so let's get into the preview um, for this 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 team, because I've been talking with the various. Uh, people that that cover all the other teams in the Big 12 and kind of talking about Kansas and, and my perspective on Kansas. But obviously, I'm not there. I'm not, you know, listening to all the press conferences live or all that or really kind of following as closely as I would like to um, this this Kansas program. So I think the big question on everyone's mind and probably one that I don't know how much extra insight you can actually give us because it seems like they're being pretty tight-lipped about it. But the number one question on everyone's mind when it comes to this Kansas team is the QB battle and who is going to be the starter. You know, this is somewhat of a tradition for Kansas for the last few years um, where we have absolutely no idea who the starter is actually going to be on opening day. I I actually like the situation here a little bit better in that I'm confident that whoever starts is probably going to be the starter for the entire year, barring, you know, trying to get a guy towards the end of the year, uh, a a little bit of experience or an injury or something like that. So do you have any kind of indication or just based off of what you've been able to gather about who the starter is most likely going to be? And is that also who you think should be the starter? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you this much. Um, there's been insight that I think all of us who are reporters have been able to gather just through our own thing, uh, but certainly it hasn't come uh, from players, from coaches. You know, I've asked a number of players this. It's a pretty simple question. Uh, hey, what's one thing that Thomas McVitty does well and one thing that Miles Kendrick does uh, does well? And it's it's funny that their answer, I mean, they're so clearly, the players have been told, I, I'm guessing, so clearly to just not acknowledge any differences at all between the two to the extent <laughs> that I had, a, I had a player tell me the other day, he's like, I don't even notice a difference between them. And in my head, I'm like, really? The six foot five, big arm Thomas McVitie and the five nine dual threat Kendrick, like you don't notice one difference, not one thing between these two guys who couldn't be any yeah, more different wrong. in their approach. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> However, yeah, here's what I can tell you. Uh, I believe I, I think there's been in in kind of an aura. I don't know if that would be the right word around Thomas McVitie, which makes sense. However, uh, Thomas McVitie was brought here to Kansas by Chip Lindsey, and it's been pretty well documented. But uh, we wrote a story. Uh, right after around the time he got here that like the Chip Lindsay offense was the exact same offense Thomas McVitie ran in Juco. So when Chip Lindsay left, that really opened things, uh, opened things up for Carter Stanley to kind of impress and, and be maybe even a better system fit. But, you know, I look back at it and if Brent Thierman were the offensive coordinator the whole way last year, they didn't do the less Kenning slash less miles, you know, tug of war experiment. Um, I, I still think, that Carter Stanley would have won the job because I think Carter Stanley was simply the best fit for what Brent Thierman wanted to do. I don't think that Miles Kendrick and Thomas McVitie are necessarily ideal fits for his system. Um, I mean, just some of the things I've heard is at times it sounded like both have uh, maybe decision-making hasn't always been the best. Accuracy hasn't always been the best. Uh, specifically, that's been something we've heard with McVitie. We've heard uh, it, from the Beatty regime that Kendrick is uh, a great playmaker and, and can make something out of nothing. And then, you know, at times, though, that lends itself to turnovers. And when I think about Brent Dearman and everything I know about him, having spoken to his former players, having spoken to an administrator who hired him for a head coaching job, uh, Brent Dearman is about execution. Brent Dearman is about we are going to win the game before we get off the bus because we're going to have a better plan than your plan. And so I don't think about, you know, who's the spectacular quarterback that can run around in the backfield and then launch a ball 60 yards downfield. I think who's going to be able to analyze the guys, you know, on the other side and say, this is where the ball needs to go. Here's when it needs to go there. And uh, if that breaks down, here's my kind of backup option. So from that perspective, my head would tell me that maybe Kendrick can run some of the those principles or, or work with those things better. I have kind of always viewed him at least since the start of the spring as a, a very, very marginal favorite. Um, but me personally, uh, what I would do, um, I guess it's a little different because of the whole COVID thing. I, I love the idea of like putting Tory Lachlan in some kind of a system and, and designing an offense around him and just doing something kind of different. Uh, I'm not sure you could do that now because, like I said, the whole COVID thing. So I, I don't really know. I, I obviously, we haven't been allowed to go to practices, uh, fall camp practices under the West Miles. That's not a COVID thing. That's an every year thing. So, you know, I really can't tell you how those guys were looking now. But my guess going into the spring would have been Miles Kendrick. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe I, I guess I'll stick with it. But, you know, I'll 
you know, we have to wait to see it because Thomas McVitie played like two snaps last year and Miles Kendrick played none. So uh, I think there's a ton of questions there. So, so wait, I just want to make sure you think that Kendrick is probably the favorite just based off of, I mean, cause like, I think that's kind of always been my, you know, kind of, kind of what I've, or the way that I've been leaning is that I think at Kendrick, his, his athleticism and what he's able to do, um, I think is more in line with the type of things that Brent Dameron does, but it sounded from based on what you were saying that maybe there's an execution issue that if that's not improved, then maybe they would lean more towards McVitie. Um, I do find it interesting that it's, you know, geared towards those two. And, and I'm wondering how much that changes based off of the NCAA decision that basically people can play as much as they want this year and still maintain their eligibility. So it's not like a normal red yeah. shirt situation. So maybe that gives you a little bit more leeway to play, a freshman and let him try to work through things. If you wanted to go with like Jalen Daniels, if you know, if you think that he's there, like you're not wasting a year of his eligibility for him to work through a bunch of issues that he might potentially have. But I like, do you think that that's going to affect the decision or, or has affected the decision? The fact that they might be able to, to actually play, you know, a, a particular guy this entire year and have it not count and they can get every single one of these players back next year. Yeah, well, here, here's why I view it. And again, the Miles Kendrick thing, me thinking that maybe he was a slight favorite, that goes back to the spring. That's not based on any information that I've okay. heard over the last two or three weeks. That's based off coming into this. You know, that's been my belief is that he is the better system fit. And Thomas McVitie is a little bit mobile, too. He's, a, he's actually pretty mobile, but he's had some injury concerns. And I personally have not seen him move around uh, since whatever injury or injury scare he had at the JUCO level. So I just – I simply don't have enough information to, to kind of determine on that. But I think your instincts are good in that, you know, look, if, if you start the year, it's maybe it's not going well. Maybe you have a COVID test, you know, some something pops up and changes things. Uh, changes things. I, I I think it would make sense to say, hey, you know, let's get Jalen Daniels a few games of experience and and you know see what's going on there. Let's you know let's let's mess with it. You know, Les Miles mentioned Miles Fallon as being in the quarterback competition. I I don't believe he's uh, realistically right. in line to start, realistically in line to play, whatever. But you lose a guy or two, you maybe don't want to throw Jalen Daniels in. Why not just throw him out there and see what happens? Like I I wouldn't be against taking that approach, especially because. Year one and year two for Les Miles are solely about restoring scholarship numbers. He had the 2019 class that was smaller. You can pretty much forget about that. It brought in some good players. Andrew Parchment came in with that class. So it brought in some talent. But that class was more about, you know, immediate need. Then 2020, you know, 25, 26 high school names. 2021, shaping up to be 25, 26 high school names. And then Ideally, his next class would again be 25, 26 high school names, and boom, you fix the scholarship thing in three years, something that somehow David Beatty managed to uh, marginally improve in a, in a four-year coaching tenure while insisting that he was not making the same mistakes as his predecessors you know, while making those exact same mistakes. So uh, I, think from your, I think that approach is good. I think that approach is smart. Uh, of really giving guys a chance, and that extends everywhere. I would probably do that defensively. I would probably do that uh, at most positions because this is not a win-now year. This is a development year, and maybe in year three, year four, you start talking about, okay, you know, how many wins can we get up to on the, on the schedule now? Right. This, this was always going to be, when we had a full schedule, a three wins was probably considered to be a success and could potentially be a step forward because of – just how difficult the schedule was going to be. And, you know, you didn't really get any favors with the home and away this year in the Big 12. And so, you know, when you lose those two non-conference games that you were expecting to be able to win, 
um, or at least that, that Boston College game, you probably had a 50-50 shot on. Like, you know, it, it's there's not really an expectation for wins this year. Like, one win is probably the only expectation, and that's if you, you know, if you happen to believe that they have a a more than, you know, even shot of winning that 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 Coastal Carolina game. And so, you know, it's one of those things, like, I don't think that winning was an expectation this year, and the fact that now it's basically a gimme year where every single person is going to be eligible to come back. Um, like that really, I think could potentially change the way that they approach playing time. They're going to probably play a lot more people. Um, you know, if they want to throw in a quarterback for a series, you know, just because they, they think they, they see something and want, or want to see something in a certain situation, like you can get really weird this year, especially if we get towards the end of the year, you know, and there's a lot yeah. of additional, you know, like additional things to kind of consider at that point. Like there are no expectations for this team there, there, you know, they weren't, they weren't going to be going for a bowl game. Who even knows if the bowl games are going to happen this year? Like there's a lot of weird stuff happening that allows them, I think, to do a lot of mm-hmm. experimenting and really trying to give a bunch of guys time that you normally wouldn't see in any particular year. Um, no, I, yeah. I actually was just kind of well, surprised that, that you had said Miles Kendrick, because I think I'm the only person I know of that actually thought that Miles <laughs> Kendrick would, should have been the favorite or was the favorite or like even slightly. So I, I'm actually happy to yeah. hear that I'm not alone in that. Yeah, well, real quick, two things on what you just said. Uh, one, you know, I agree with you, and I think that's the approach I would take. And it's the approach uh, just in terms of playing everyone to an extent that I expect them to take. But also, less miles like Bill Self is very much a, hey, you win every game and then you worry about it late. Now, Bill Self has had times in his career where guys have rested or guys haven't played. Um, I think back to a finale at Oklahoma where it feels like half the team wasn't there. Um where it was basically a get healthy game, but still at the same time, you know, you coach to to win whatever. The second thing regarding the scholarship thing, I've actually asked like five-ish maybe players over the last two weeks, hey, you know, you're a senior, would you like to come back? You're a senior, you know, what do you think about this decision? I get the sense, I I think it'll be 50-50 for a lot of guys, unless like, even even if they're not quite NFL caliber, whatever, I, I think a lot of guys will be kind of ready to move on um, at the end of the season, but I do think there will be people, to your point, who come back, who take advantage of that extra year. So uh, I think that, you know, kind of add into the weird storylines that you were just talking about. It's fascinating because in theory, if you get enough of the right people coming back, that could make the 2021 Kansas team. I mean, that that team to me, if you were just planning a blueprint, has always been the, okay, it's time to see some improvement, but not necessarily like, six games that that might be a four win five win and you feel great about that team if you get the right guys coming back now all of a sudden you start to say hold on like you know could less miles i guess short i i don't know the right terminology could he kind of sneak around here and and make a huge jump in year three i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility but first we have to see who comes back who plays well like Andrew Parchment's a perfect example. He's a senior. Stefan Robinson, another example. He's a senior. You get both of those guys back. You get, you know, a oh, quarterback, yeah. a year of development. You get that guy back. I mean, now all your defensive players are a year older, and you still have all these great offensive weapons. So there, there's a lot of question marks there. I would be hesitant to, to just predict anything without knowing. But if you get the right combination of guys coming back, Kansas could be really interesting next year. Well, I, I think this also kind of changes the the recruiting conversation because it's not just recruiting high school players anymore. Now it's recruiting, you know, seniors and figuring out like how many of them want to come back, where you could actually use them. And like, 
you know, trying to realistically get as many um, contributors back that you can for next year because of that kind of blanket waiver that everybody gets in terms of eligibility. So like, you know, if, if, if we identify one of the quarterbacks and they really kind of take off towards the end of the year and we get a good majority of the offensive line back and they can build that cohesion, like there's a really good opportunity for them to make a big jump next year. I do want to talk about the offensive line because that's kind of my next question here. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock talk podcast. And we're back. Okay. So, um, Obviously, we, we kind of talked a little bit about the offensive line, but offensive line has kind of been a, a really big issue for this team in the past. Um, and it, it, it really kind of still is an issue for this team now, especially with the, um, you know, the departure of Antoine Frazier, uh, who was expected to probably be one of the most experienced guys on this line after they lost Hakeem Adenogy, um to the draft last season. So, you know, I, I saw you had an article up over on fog.net. Um, kind of breaking down the people that are returning and where they're at. But it seems like the coaches are actually fairly confident with where they are in the offensive line. Do you have any uh, like kind of information about that? Or are you, are you as worried as I have been about the fact that they don't have a lot of offensive linemen returning that have a lot of experience? I, I think you can go both ways with it. If you want the alarm bells to be, you know, sounding for, I guess, lack of a better term or phrase, like you can certainly get yourself there, right? I mean, you lose Hakeem Adenogy. I think you lose every start made at left and right tackle last year, and certainly Hakeem Adenogy's uh, 48 starts at all at tackle over the last four years. Then you think about Antoine Frazier, a guy who maybe he would have started, maybe he would have been more, you know, in use for depth, but this was a guy who started or uh, who played in 23 games over his sophomore and junior seasons before redshirting in uh, 2019 or sitting out and, and redshirting in 2019, there are, there are real question marks. There are, you know, you lose Andrew Toby as well, and, and there really isn't a lot of depth in the unit. You know, when Les Miles was describing um, their, not quite their 2D, but some of their performers there, the thing that struck me was not that they don't have you know, enough guys, because I, I think they have a pretty strong interior O-line presence. Uh, I think Oppie Main, he goes by that. It's actually pronounced Mane or uh, Mani, but um, he likes the, the rhyme, like the Gucci Main thing. So he lets people call him that. I, I think he at center is a pretty solid lineman. I think they have, you know, Chris Hughes, Adagio Lopetti has been a guy we've heard about. Jacoby Lott has been a guy we've heard about. And even the option for Malik Clark, uh, but it sounds like they're actually using Malik Clark at left tackle now, uh, which is kind of fascinating considering uh, this is a guy you would have penciled in and Les Miles kind of indicated was going to be playing guard previously. Now, I think when he made those comments, Antoine Frazier was on the roster. So that obviously changes your outlook and changes things a little bit. And, you know, Earl Bostic has been a name that since David Beatty, like literally uh, it was like 2017 or 2018, when I heard David Beatty, it must have been 2017, like raving about Earl Bostic and how he was going to be, you know, he was this young up-and-coming guy and whatever, and here we are a few years later, and he's supposed to be this left tackle. You know, now it kind of seems like he might be the right tackle. I think that's a question mark. So if you want to be alarmed, I'm not going to tell you not to be because I, I think that's fair. There's a lot of unproven talent there. I just think Kansas will probably be able to put together – yeah, maybe six, maybe seven guys that if they can stay healthy, rotate in and out and whatnot, that you'll be able to have a pretty decent-ish offensive line for a place like Kansas. I don't think it'll be great. They may need to rely on young guys at times, which uh, they've certainly brought a few in, but 
I, I think there are enough to where if that unit isn't plagued by major injury or illness because of the whole COVID thing, I think they should probably be okay, but I certainly wouldn't bet on that being one of the best units on the team by any measure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and, and that's usually been the weakness of this offense is, you know, despite the the back-and-forth quarterback play, like, I think you can trace a lot of that to just the fact that they've had an extremely inconsistent offensive line over the last, you know, five or six years at, at a minimum. And and so, like, yeah, it's definitely a concern that you're losing all of your guys that have a lot of experience um, you're dealing with, you know, potentially rotating these guys in and out. But I also kind of wonder how much of that, you know, is mitigated by the fact that they are changing to a system um, in Brent Deerman's offense that maybe isn't necessarily as dependent on the offensive line being able to, like, block a guy and, you know, seal him off for three or four seconds to allow the quarterback to do something. They seem to be, you know, from, from, I've gone back and tried to look at some of the old, you know, tape of some of the the uh, the the offenses that Brent Deerman has run elsewhere. And from what I've been able to find, it seems like they do a lot more of, like, zone blocking and really kind of nudging guys out of the way to open things up as opposed to just trying to stop a guy. And so, like, that, I think, helps when you don't have that cohesion. You don't necessarily have the athletic guys that have really kind of built their, um, you know, their their spot there and really be able to, to seal guys off. And so, like, I think there's definitely a whole lot more to work with. If you're rotating guys in, it's a lot easier to do, like, a zone blocking scheme um, to really help them to, to be able to open up whatever it is they need to. And so I don't know that offensive line is going to be as big of a worry or the, the offensive production isn't going to be as – um, predicated on how well the offensive line plays. Um, it, they're going to have a much better, I think, opportunity to use the fact that they have some very talented skill position players. I mean, they, they you know, there's an argument to be made that they have the best wide receiver core in the Big 12 this year um, with all the guys that yeah. they have coming back that, that have produced so well. And so if you, if you can take it out of the offensive line deciding how good your offense is, you know, you have an opportunity now to take all these skill position players and actually make something out of it, regardless of how well that line plays. And to your point earlier, I mean, you talk about trying out new players, trying new pieces in and out. You know, Nick Williams was a name uh, mentioned by Les Miles as someone competing at least uh, for potential depth, whatever, at the tackle position. Now, he did acknowledge losing Antoine Frazier hurts the depth at the tackle spots. And whether or not you think, you know, you, the collective you, anyone thinks that Antoine Frazier was going to start, it obviously hurts. Uh, being down a tackle, being a guy, being down a guy who has Big 12 experience, but that might be a spot where, hey, you know, Garrett Jones is the name we've heard at backup center. Maybe if you know you get late in the year, and I'm not saying it's a, it has to be a blowout per se, but maybe just one drive, you know, hey, throw him in there, see what happens. And look, I guess you could have played in four games in a normal year in red shirt anyway, but you know the difference is you're not burning the red shirt uh, when you play in. For for fewer games, you're not burning a red shirt if you don't play this year. Basically, for lack of a better term, doesn't count. It's a it's a imaginary year, imaginary season. It really doesn't matter like at all how much you play. So that that might be another area you get later in the year where it would not shock me if they said, you know, hey, let's throw a few different combinations in there and some of these young guys and you know see if they're ready to handle it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's definitely a lot of opportunities and a lot of different things that we could be looking at this year. And, and again, I don't think that offensive line is going to be quite as important to the success of this offense as we're used to seeing. So that is definitely at least something to kind of help tampen down those alarm bells a little bit. Now, obviously, yeah. if they get blown off the blocks immediately and, you know, they're, and the opposing defense is in the backfield in like a second and a half, 
you know, that there's nothing that even zone blocking can do against that. But I, I, I think there's at least enough hope that they can hold long enough to allow the quarterback to do something. Um, that I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I feel any better about the individual players, but I, I just think that the scheme, and I, I guess I, I trust Brent Deerman to come up with something if they are getting consistently beat to maybe take advantage of the aggressiveness or to at least find some way to kind of work around it. It's yeah. obviously, you know, there's a very, very large kind of variance of how well the offense could be this year. But I do think that there's definitely a lot more hope this year for, for Kansas fans than there has been in the past. Yeah, well, specifically about Dearman's offense, too. You know, one of the things that when I talk to people around him, and, and especially uh, former players under him, that they said is he, he's got a counter for everything. So, you know, if you're given this bubble screen look, you know, the entire game, you know, one of those times the receiver, you know, might be a fake bubble screen that comes back with a deep shot or something that, you know, it just keeps the defense on their toes. I will say this, though. You know, so much of this conversation, what you and I are talking about right now, depends on Brent Neerman being able to run his offense. Les Miles has said right. that he is going to let Brent Neerman run his offense. He said, I've got a great coordinator. I'm going to let him coordinate. If that's not an exact quote, it is very close to the quote he gave. There are a lot of fans at LSU, and I found three articles from three different seasons about this, saying, you know, Les Miles says he's going to be hands-off with the offense, and oops, it's the exact same offense. And I think at times you saw it last year, and you saw when Brent Deerman took over, he got to run his stuff a little bit. But there were a few games, namely Coastal Carolina and Oklahoma State, that I think if you popped on the film and showed it to an LSU fan, they would say, nope, that's Les Miles. That's Les Miles. Now, that may not necessarily be fair. Uh, and there is a variance between the probably you know 10% of plays last year that were obviously Brent Deerman and 10% of plays last year that were obviously Les Miles. Well, there's a whole other 80% of plays that you can't be 100% sure who's calling them. So it's not necessarily fair to say you know every run up the middle is Les Miles and every creative play is Brent Deerman. However, that's it, it's a big part of this conversation because I agree with you that in you know with a lot of teams offensive line specifically may be a much bigger deal than if you have creative schemes, if you're relying on, uh, you know, decision-making, RPO zone read, just finding the, the holes and advantages against the defense. But again, that has to come from Brent Deerman because if the offense, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but if it is being meddled with, uh, that becomes a problem when, you know, you don't really have the personnel to just line up, you know, eight guys on the line of scrimmage or eight guys right in front of Puka Williams against that 10 man box and just say, okay, good luck. Go make it work. Go try and get five yards running up the middle. That's, that's never been Puka Williams this game. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, and, and I do think like, first of all, the, the coastal Carolina game, obviously with, with Kenning still in charge, like I, I'm not convinced that Kenning's offense wasn't really just less miles offense. <laughs> like I, yeah, I think I'm, that's I'm why he picked him. I'm not convinced Les Kenning. I'm not convinced Les Kenning ever installed anything, to be honest. Right, like, right, exactly. I, I, and so, like, I, I don't like, know his schemes and philosophies. Yeah, but like, I mean, the, the the Oklahoma State game, I thought, I think at that point there was a lot of kind of stuff that was just going on. And while they did get a little bit conservative, from what I understand, there was there was maybe some issues going on with health of of, of certain players. So they couldn't do certain things that they wanted to. That may just be rumors. I'm not sure, but it definitely seemed like there was some other stuff that was going on. that wasn't just completely scheme related. Um, but it's also kind of one of those things, like even a guy like Brent Deerman has to go with kind of the, the standard type plays every once in a while. And if nothing is working, like nothing was working in that Oklahoma state game, 
like a lot of times it's all going to look the same if you get blown up immediately right off the line of scrimmage. And so like, yeah, I, sure. again, like sure. there's going to be those games where it, maybe it doesn't seem like it's going to change just because nothing's working. And, and at that point, I don't know how much blame you can really put on anything. Um, you know, but, but Brent Dearman's style of offense is high risk, high reward. It's either re- going to work really well and he's going to look like a genius or it's going to blow up in his face. And, you know, as long as you believe that he still has the ability to pull out those, you know, miraculous moves every once in a while and those plays, like you're willing to live with the fact that it's going to blow up on you every once in a while. Um, and so yeah. like, yeah, again, I, I don't know how much he actually has full control, but you know, all, all the indications that I seem to get from the miles to go documentary, it seemed like Brent Deerman was the one that was calling the shots for the most part in the final half of the season. We'll see if that continues. I was actually kind of disappointed that they didn't do another season of that. Cause I, I love that, that behind the scenes look last year, but, uh, but yeah, I'll be interested to see what, what Deerman's able to bring to it, what they're able to kind of develop this year. Um, so it's, it's obviously going to be ex- an extremely exciting year. All right, I have a couple other topics I want to hit, but before we do that, I need to throw it to one more quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk Podcast. And we're back. All right, so final segment here with Scott. Um, so the other big question I think that most people have, obviously it's, you know, in the Big 12, everyone says that nobody in the Big 12 plays defense, which that's a completely other discussion. This Kansas defense, you know, didn't have a lot of success last year and probably one of their their biggest guys um, that you were – planning on bringing into this year got injured early in the season in Drew Prox. He's back this year. It seems like they've made a decent amount of progress, but without, you know, spring practices and with a kind of abbreviated fall camp for the most part, it seems, you know, there's a lot of questions about how this defense is going to look, what they've kind of been able to develop there. Do you have any, any insight on this defense, what we can might be able to expect how the front seven, especially, because I think that's where the biggest question marks were last year. Like, what's what's your overall sense of how this defense is going to work and if we can expect it to be you know vastly improved or if it's going to kind of be a a season where they kind of just try to bring things along and develop as much as they can throughout the year you know look the the defense and and you know this the defense lost a lot uh in terms of just guys who played snaps i think you lost three 12 game starters uh in the secondary with bryce tornaden mike lee uh, and obviously hassan defense although i this is just my personal opinion. I thought Hassan defense was good as a junior, as a safety. I actually thought he was great as a safety. I thought he was really out of position, really undisciplined, and and a liability at times playing cornerback, which he did. Definitely, I agree. Extremely, very penalty prone, uh, never seemed to be in the right spots, uh, was picked on by other teams. And again, yeah, at safety, I thought he was excellent. I thought, for the record, that if he played safety for two seasons, he might have had an NFL future at safety because I really liked, uh, I really liked what I saw from him at safety. But you lose him, Tornaden, you know, Bryce Tornaden, not a perfect Big 12 player, doesn't necessarily have the speed and all the athleticism, but sure seems to make a lot of tackles, be in the right spots with a natural fit for DJ Elliott's top position. Mike Lee, kind of same thing. He had some shortcomings, uh, sometimes in coverage, but you know, that guy coming downhill into the box, making a tackle, that that's really important. So if you want to look at the negative side there, there's the negative side. You're losing a lot of playmakers. But, you know, at the same time, the key defense last year was not good. And it took a major, major step back from the final Clint Bowen defense that was ranked top 10 in the country in takeaways and the team ranked top 10 in the country in turnover margin. Uh, that defense, and I believe Bowen's defense in – David Beatty's second season were both, in my opinion, better than 
average Big 12 defenses. The numbers didn't always bear that out because the offenses were so bad. But both of those defenses, you could have put them on a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team with a great offense, and it would not have stopped them. You know, it, it wouldn't have caused them problems. Those defenses were good enough. Uh, I think the defense is still a rebuilding project, but I can't envision it. Maybe the numbers will be a little bit worse because the schedule will be harder. But to be honest, I, I don't know that the defense can get, you know, play much worse than it did last year just by a function of, you know, you think of all the big point totals that allowed the inability basically in, in any close game to get timely stops except, you know, maybe West Virginia. I can't totally remember that game. And uh, just the number of shootouts KU found itself in by way of, you know, just needing the defense to get one stop or, or you know, think about that K-State game. That K-State oh, game had a, a very lopsided final margin, very lopsided. But a big part of that was, you know, Kansas State just marching the ball down the field methodically, eight-minute drives or whatever. And it's like, you know, you just get one stop. And, and I know K-State introduced some wrinkles, including, like, the option, which was really interesting. But it's like you just get a timely stop and get the offense the ball back, and then they're not sitting on the sideline for 15 minutes in between, you know, 20 minutes of real time in between mistakes uh, and, and just completely unable to get into a rhythm. So uh, from that perspective, I can't imagine uh, that the defense – wouldn't be improved a little bit, but again, I, I think they're going to have to play a lot of young guys, especially in the secondary. I really like the KU linebackers. I think they've got a couple good guys on the defensive line, uh, but man, I, I think this is another one that, you know, not maybe not for the whole defense, and, and they've got a couple veteran corners, and uh, Kyle Mayberry, Elijah Jones, but, you know, I, I see a lot of young talent there. I see less of the kind of veteran guys that maybe – uh, would be crucial for putting together one of their better defenses. Yeah, so you threw a few names out there, but I, I was going to ask, can you give me one guy on this defense you think is going to be, like a guy that nobody really knows right now, but is potentially going to have a very good year that most Jayhawk fans would know of by the end of the season? Okay, that, that I really like that question. I'm, I'm not even going to give myself like Stephen Parker, because even though he may not start, I think he's got – uh, a role to play. Drew Prox, obviously, most people probably know about. Kyron Johnson, right. Denzel Feaster, we've heard some good things about. I, if I look in the secondary, um, I'm intrigued by a couple of guys. Karan Pronti and Deuce Mayberry. They've both been guys who've been talked up by Les Miles. Uh, and we've talked a lot about Deuce just with the coaches and, and players, but a lot of that's been because, you know, hey, his brother is also a defensive back. But I do believe it's fairly legitimate, like, the conversations that have been had about his maturity. I am very interested in Karan Pronti uh, just because this is a guy that Les Miles has talked up um, in multiple interviews. I, I believe he did something with the Athletic over the summer. He brought him up. He's brought him up to us again. Uh, it's just been kind of a name that we've regularly heard to, to watch out for. I have my real answer, though. Like, just talking through it made me think of it, and that's Kenny Logan. Uh, Kenny Logan has been a guy that Mike Lee raved about that multiple guys in the defense have said, this is a guy in waiting to watch out for. Um, sounds like he's going to get his chance playing defense. He was more of a special teams guy last year, but it, it sounds like there are a lot of big believers in Kenny, uh, Kenny Logan. And I, I think that would probably be the best net, uh, best bet for a name. But any of those guys I mentioned, uh, I think have a chance. Kenny Logan's just the one that stands out to me. 
Yeah, you actually snuck in at the last second. I have been hearing good things about Logan as well. And that, uh, I was going to say, man, I'm surprised you didn't say that. And then, of course, you pulled it out the very last second there. So, yeah, I'll be really interested. I'm expecting, honestly, I'm, I'm expecting big things from, from Kenny Logan this year. So it'll be really interesting to see if he's able to live up to the hype that he's been getting kind of internally. I mean, it seems like it's under the radar, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's one defensive player from this, you know, KU team that really jumps out and even people around the Big 12 really know. It seems like KU usually has one or two of those. This year, like the biggest, you know, the biggest candidate for that would be Drew Proc, just because of the name that he's got, you know, coming into the season. But there's usually someone that kind of jumps out from nowhere. My money is probably going to be on a guy like Logan just because I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities. So, all right, final question for you. Um, obviously, it was announced just recently that that KU – is opening the season against Coastal Carolina at home at 9 p.m. local time um, on September 12th. A really, really late start. It kind of takes that that Pac-12 after dark <laughs> slot. Um, you know, I was actually, I, I, I appear regularly on another podcast that covers the Big 12, and we had been hammering for weeks that the Big 12 was going to get someone there and that it was probably going to be like a KU or a K-State to open up the season. So I was very happy to kind of see that. What are your thoughts on the 9 p.m. start? Do you think that it's potentially going to be an issue? I know you guys have an article up over on fog.net talking about how Les Miles actually seem to think that it could potentially be a good thing, and some of the players agree. But do, do you think that that's good for Kansas? And, I mean, what about you personally? Do, do you like the fact that there's a, a really late start for the day, or would you prefer that it be earlier in the day? Well, look, the young person in me likes staying up late. I think I'm productive at night. Uh, the journalist in me doesn't like that no one's going to read my story because it's going to be 2 in the morning when the game's over. Uh, the sports fan in me thinks it's awesome that football will be on throughout the day, and uh, the empathetic to KU fans and KU players in me uh, would say I think it's a good idea, and I think it's a good idea. I'm, I don't think it'll be the case multiple times this year. I, I think this is a one-time deal. But I think it's a good idea for this game because it puts it on national television. It makes sure that everyone around the country gets a chance to see, uh, you know, not only Kansas, but or, or not only for Kansas fans, but but especially for Kansas, you know, families and and for people who uh, are you know family members of players on the team or people just who would want to make sure to get the chance to watch. You know, obviously there are other options to show a game, but. I mean, I don't know if, if you guys know what Oklahoma's doing, but a $55 pay-per-view oh uh, for the opening game of the season is just like – now, granted, I'm sure it would be lower to play like Kansas, but, I, I mean, that'd be horrible. And, and Oklahoma certainly doesn't need the exposure, and, and I can maybe understand that maybe they want to sell season-long subscriptions to Sooner Sports, which are like 80 bucks or something like that. So, you know, they're – what, whatever their strategy is there. But, I mean, what a shame it would be to not put a program of rebuilding players when you're trying to recruit out the West Coast. KU is recruiting out strong in California, by the way. Um, so I think that's part of it, too. But I think it's a good idea from that perspective. I am intrigued and excited by it as a one-time event. And, uh, you know, I, I personally prefer either an 11 a.m. kickoff or like a 6, 7 p.m. kickoff. But, Look, I, either way, it's uh, it'll it'll be unique, it'll be fun, and look, a lot of the country is going to be watching KU football play Coastal Carolina, and I, that's probably exactly what they wanted. Yeah, I mean, a after seeing the ratings for you know all of the the limited action there was last week in Week Zero, like the you know the East, I think it's Eastern Kentucky and then Austin P game, like that had a huge rating, and so it was. You know, I'm not really surprised. You know, actually, from what I heard, when this was kind of floated as a possibility to have a Big 12 team on that late, 
Kansas wasn't necessarily actively campaigning for it, but they made it known that they would not mind that at all. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you're talking about, the California recruiting, being on national television. I also I think if it's going to be on one of the extremes, I almost prefer that it is at the extreme end. One, it, allows, it lets me stay up even later, even though, you know, I'm over on the East Coast right now. So it's going to be a 10 o'clock start for me. I'm going to be up until probably two in the morning uh, with everything that I have to do afterwards. And so it's like, you know, maybe personally for like my my health, it's not the best thing because I won't be getting very much sleep. <laughs> but, um, you know, having at the very end of a full day of football, everybody's going to want as much football as possible. So there's going to be a lot of people that will tune in to this particular game because it's the last football of the week that they'll really, really want to see. So, yeah, I definitely like it. Uh, I think it's very good for exposure. Miles has kind of talked about, you know, it being on national television, getting a lot more people, and, and of course, the Kansas family being able to see that as well. So I think it's ultimately a good thing. I agree with you. I wouldn't want it like every single week, but for the, you know, festivities that are going to be the first full slate of games, um, you know, in that first week, it's definitely a good idea to put it there rather than have it like smack dab in the middle of the conference schedule. Yeah. All right, Scott, complete, any, complete any other final thoughts for us? Yeah. Uh, and, one, any other final, final thoughts about the team, you. about the season coming up or anything like that? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. One final thought for you. If you enjoyed Miles to Go, uh, Oklahoma State is doing their thing now. I think it's called Our yep. Time. I've watched it. Uh, Miles to Go is much better. I guess it's probably hard Agreed. to do things in like the coronavirus age, but it's certainly out there. So uh, if you're looking for your Miles to Go fix, you can either rewatch season one or – you know, go become a, a giant Oklahoma State fan. I think it should be an interesting yeah, so, time to root them on. As I say, that that Big 12 podcast that I do, he had, the the main host there actually is an Oklahoma State fan. He was talking about that a little bit, and I, I agree with him. I was a little disappointed that they didn't talk about nearly as much of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I think, as, like, all of the, the Gundy stuff. Like, obviously, they weren't going to want to air all of the nitty-gritty details, but they pretty much ignored all of that. Like, I think that the miles to go was definitely a lot more in-depth and, you know, try to objectively look at the pros and cons of all the things that were going on as much as it was kind of advertising for Kansas. Um, I do think that they kind of came at it holistically and kind of looked at the entire situation. Whereas the, the Oklahoma state one definitely isn't as, as in depth. I think as a lot of people were hoping for <laughs> considering it was going to yeah. be kind of the, the follow-up, like the next program, almost like hard knocks, you know, they go from program to program each season. It seems like the Oklahoma state yeah. one was like the second season of, of hard knocks at the, at the big 12 football level. So, all right, Scott, thanks uh, for, for joining us tonight. Where can people find your work online? Yeah. If you're interested in reading what we have to write about, you can go to fog.net, kansas.247sports.com either. You can give me a follow at Jason Scott on Twitter, uh, really anywhere. Just tweet me and I'll point you in the right direction. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or, um, or you know, we're over on Anchor now, but you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, give us a rating review. We'd absolutely appreciate that. But um, you actually now, with, with us being on Anchor, you can actually leave us messages if you want to be part of the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash podcast slash message. And you can actually leave a message there that I can bring into the show and we can react to. Um, if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. But that'll do it for us tonight. Scott, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.